Well, this morning I was thinking about how I'm going to do two things that I don't ever do, um, or try not to ever do. One, I'm going to bring my phone up here because I do my best to leave it in my office on Sundays and never have it with me. Um, but so that's one of the things I'm going to do. The second thing I'm going to do is they teach you if you're going to preach to like just have one point and one message, not two. Um, I'm ignoring that today, so I'm sorry that you have to suffer for that. Um, but I, I, this week I was trying to ask a question. Um, I, I, it was called crowdsourcing, right? I ask questions online because sometimes I'm just curious about your stories. And so I asked a particular question. I said, I'm looking for a couple examples from the lives of others. When is the time you did the right thing and someone may have thought it was the wrong time? Right? So one person said they were in high school and they were practicing taps, the right thing to do. However, what they didn't know was that um, someone had passed out in the marching band, and so they're practicing taps as they're passed out on the ground. It's kind of funny. I thought it was pretty good. Um, someone left a job with benefits to go into real estate. Someone else adopted a child. And someone said there was no way that was crazy based on their ages, and they did it anyway. Someone got married in spite of their past. Someone chose to homeschool their children. Um, so, someone, which is true for all of us, having children where you're not financially ready because you're never financially ready. Moving two hours away from family and friends. Fostering kids who speak Spanish and we speak English. Quitting a job to carry the health insurance and trusting that something good would work out in the future. Those are just a few of the responses. And so why would I share those things, right? I'm thinking, what are the things that we have done that we go, it's kind of crazy in hindsight. Like, I think about when our son was born. Uh, he's the oldest of our two kids. And when he was born, I was scheduled to preach on that Sunday. He was born on Thursday morning. And at like four in the morning. And so I didn't plan on canceling. I thought I was good to go. And so I was on staff at a church at the time. And so I, I planned on it. But we had, he was not eating well. It wasn't going well. That, and so he was home. And so we had this kind of like deal worked out where Katie would call me and my phone would be in my pocket. And she would call and I would let it go all the way through vibrating in my pocket. And if she called right back, as soon as it stopped, I would know that I need to leave. So sure enough, I'm getting ready to pray. I'm praying, like the pastoral prayer. And then we had like a special song that morning for part of the message. And so I'm praying. My phone starts ringing. I'm going, oh, no. I finished praying. It rang again right away. I knew what that meant. So I finished. I said amen. And I walked out the center aisle and left. Uh, the pastor I worked for was, happened to be in his office at the time. We had several services. And so he was just in there at the moment. And I said, hey, uh, you're up. And he goes, what do you mean? I mean, I said, I'm out. I'm going to the hospital. And um, he goes, okay. So he just went with it, right? It was the right thing, wrong timing, right? Like that was the wrong time for that. And, and for most of us, though, we can't think of doing the right thing in the wrong time. That sounds like an oxymoron, right? If it's the right thing, it's always the right time, right? But maybe one of the reasons we think that way is because of the reality of who Jesus is and what Jesus has done. And this particular story illustrates for us what it looks like from Luke chapter 13 to do the right thing when it seems like the wrong time. And so Luke is the one who records the gospel of Luke. Luke was a doctor. Luke is the only of the four gospel writers who didn't know Jesus, but he records eyewitness accounts of people who knew Jesus and writes down their stories, and he writes the gospel of Luke. And so here's what he writes in Luke chapter 13. He says this, beginning with verse 10. 
On a Sabbath, Jesus was teaching in one of the synagogues. And a woman was there who'd been crippled by a spirit for 18 years. She was bent over and could not straighten up at all. When Jesus saw her, he called her forward and said to her, Woman, you are set free from your infirmity. And he put his hand on her, and immediately she straightened up and praised God. Indignant, because Jesus had healed on the Sabbath, the synagogue leader said to the people, There are six days for work, so come and be healed on those days, not on the Sabbath. The Lord answered him, You hypocrites, doesn't each of you on the Sabbath untie your ox or donkey from the stall and lead it out to give it water? Then should not this woman, a daughter of Abraham, whom Satan has kept bound for 18 long years, be set free on the Sabbath day from what bound her? When he said this, all his opponents were humiliated, but the people were delighted with all the wonderful things he was doing. So I started thinking about how, how we might talk about this particular text. And it begins with a word, it's just three simple words, on the Sabbath. On the Sabbath. And that doesn't mean much for most of us if we're really honest, right? Um, in our lifetime, in my lifetime specifically, the Sabbath at best has been misunderstood, at worst completely ignored. So what in the world is Sabbath? And why does it matter in this story? Right, well, here's what I'll tell you. Like, growing up, right, we, we talked about Sabbath. It was right at the time when you don't, um, you know, it's, it was Sunday, and you just don't work on that day, right? Like, that was what, um, well, here's why that's probably a bad analogy, if we're honest. Because Sabbath, if we're using Scripture, Sabbath begins on Friday at sundown and goes till Saturday at sundown. So it's a 24-hour window beginning on Friday into Saturday. It has nothing to do with Sunday. If we're going to follow Sabbath, but, but what is Sabbath, right? So we go, well, that means, because we'd say, well, that means, you know, don't, don't work or so whatever work would be for you. And so you could take lots of naps because those were good in our household, but you couldn't, like, we couldn't go to movies or do other weird stuff on Sundays because it was Sunday. It was Sabbath. And I was like, well, as I got older, I realized that's not Sabbath. That's weird. Um, I think it's just ways that parents could give new rules for their kids, right? But what is Sabbath? In fact, it's one of the things that falls in the Ten Commandments. And so here's what we find in Exodus chapter 20. Here's what it actually says in the scriptures. Remember the Sabbath day by keeping it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work. But the seventh day is a Sabbath day to the Lord, your God. On it you shall not do any work. Neither you, nor your son, or daughter, or your male or female servant, or your animals, or any foreigner residing in your towns. For in six days the Lord made the heavens and the earth, the sea and all that is in them. But he rested on the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. So Sabbath is to be a day of rest and worship. And so I was thinking about how well, from this text, we see they take something that's valuable and was kind of twisted to be something it was never meant to be. And so some of the leaders of the day, right, I'm using leaders, not religious leaders, because um, in Jewish culture at the time, whether you were a religious leader or political leader, they were kind of the same. They were kind of conjoined together. 
But what had happened over time is they'd taken what was meant to be a life-giving practice, rest and renewal, worship, breaking the rhythm of work in our life, right? Because work has more meaning if we have rest, and rest has more meaning if we have work. If you live a life of only leisure or live a life of only work, you're missing part of the way you were meant to be created. So what we find in this is this idea of what does it look like? What is the point of Sabbath or rest? So just this week, I was thinking about how um, we were, we usually go every, every summer for one week to the, the UP to my wife's aunt and uncle's and spend a week there uh, doing pretty much nothing. Um, cell phone signal is not great. And so we will pretty much, I get up in the mornings, I drink a cup of coffee on their back deck, uh, I go for a walk on the beach, I read my Bible, I pray, that's about it. Um, then we hang out all the rest of the day. My kids try to get me in the water, but it's so cold. Um, I usually get me in there once or twice, and I hate it. Um, but this week, I got there, and i got to be honest with you, I felt pretty overwhelmed. I was tired, I was burdened, um, I was wrestling with some stuff and some conversations and just felt overwhelmed. And just, you know, I know, it, like guys, we never say those kind of things because it sounds like you should never talk about that, like you feel burdened or exhausted or tired. Uh, and maybe you find yourself in that space. Maybe it's your kids or your career, providing for your family, on and on the list goes, right? But sometimes you just feel this sense of overwhelmed anxiety or fear or concern or whatever it is, or sometimes you can't even articulate what it is. So Monday morning, I'm sitting on the back deck, and I'm praying, and I'm kind of reading this daily devotional, and I'm reading a chapter from a book, and I finish that, and I go for a walk. And just by myself, I'm walking down the beach. I say, God, I don't even know the right words to pray right now. I feel burdened. I feel like overwhelmed. I feel like I don't know what the right next step is. I just, just don't even know what to pray. In the midst of that, I feel like the Spirit kind of prompting me to remember a passage of Scripture from the book of Matthew, and so I kind of thought it in my head, and, um, and here's the Scripture. Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. I love this passage of scripture. Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened. This is the premise of Sabbath. Intentional rest, time with God, time spent listening in solitude, hoping, hearing. So an interesting thing happened, right? None of the things I was burdened with, none of them were resolved, by the way. Not one of them were resolved. Still are not resolved. But I began to find more peace. And so each morning, I had the same rhythm. Got up, took a cup of coffee, sat on the back deck, spent more time in prayer, read more, and went for a walk. 
And these words kept ringing in my ears, come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Because sometimes there are things we are carrying that are so big or so heavy that we cannot carry them on our own. I did not fix any of the problems of my life, right? That is nowhere we would find a promise in Scripture that God will fix the things of your life. But he will journey with you in the midst of them. And so I was reminded about what Sabbath is, and actually the book I was reading was on Sabbath in the mornings. This whole idea that we are formed by the patterns of the world in which we live, this idea to be transformed, not just by the renewing of mind, as, our, as Paul writes, but this idea that we would be so conformed by who Jesus is and by the scriptures that they would so shape our lives that the world in which we live would not be what shapes us. And so Sabbath is one way that we resist the world in which we live and are reshaped in the image of Jesus. And it won't happen if we work seven days a week. It's impossible for us to find that to be true. And so this idea of living into Sabbath, right? Like, here's what I do believe to be true. I don't think it matters whether your Sabbath is Saturday or Sunday or Tuesday. But I do think it matters that you and I take time that we set aside and allow us to be shaped by God and nothing else. And we find rest. Sometimes rest comes around a table, right? We're going to eat together today. Sometimes rest comes by going for a walk or a run or even exercise, right? Sometimes things that are restful for your soul may not be just sitting and taking a nap. But sometimes the most restful thing for your soul is to sit and take a nap. And no one said amen. You almost get better sleep than I do. But Sabbath is a counterway to the world in which we live to reorient ourselves around who Jesus is and who God calls us to be and how, in fact, we were created to be. So Sabbath reorients us to a new perspective. It's the book I was reading this week and continue to read. It's called Sabbath as Resistance, Saying No to the Culture of Now. Saying no to the culture of now. It's written by a guy named Walter Brueggemann, and he just talks about what Sabbath was and what it probably should be. How we take the Jewish understanding, we understand it in light of Christ. And he has this quote that I thought was powerful The odd insistence of the God of Sinai is to counter anxious productivity with committed neighborliness. The latter practice does not produce so much but it creates an environment of security and respect and dignity that redefines the human project. So that is in part what Sabbath is meant to be. Now this brings us back to our text where Luke writes, on the Sabbath, Jesus was teaching, and then he was in the synagogue. Synagogue was a place of worship. It was much like a church in our day. It was a cultural place. It was the place they went for worship and teaching. And so they were there. They were gathered on the Sabbath in a place to offer worship. And Jesus teaching those who would have been a part of the church of the day. And he just sees a woman who is crippled. And he sees her and he thinks about what has bound her, what has oppressed her, what has kept her enslaved. And he stopped what he was doing, 
and healed her. For most of us, we should hear that and go, that's pretty sweet, that, that's awesome, why would we not do that, right? That, that's incredible, he had compassion and he healed her, he could and he did. He saw a need and he filled the need and he took care of it. And we think that would be great, but we didn't grow up in that culture where they had, at one level, they recognized the value of Sabbath so much so, right, we could learn from this part, so much so that they were legalistic about it in a way that wasn't helpful. And so what happened is then, the synagogue leader then has this moment where he does the most passive-aggressive thing he could. He doesn't address Jesus, but the crowd, everybody else. Well, six days you can heal people, but the Sabbath, that's for God. Super hypocritical. Right, here's what I mean. They had made rules that if like your animal got stuck in a ditch on the Sabbath, you were allowed to get your animal out because that would be like okay work. But if a person's having an issue, you can't help the person. Makes no sense, right? Animal cruelty, not okay. Human cruelty, absolutely okay. And Jesus, in all kinds of places throughout the Gospels, he says over and over again, Sabbath is meant to be gift or blessing. It's gift of God to you and I. But the leaders of the day had misconstrued what Sabbath was meant to be. And so I was thinking how I might tell this story. Um, a friend of mine tells a story. He was a teenager and he invited a friend to church again and again and again. And the kid was like, nah, I'm not coming. That's not my thing. Like, I had no church background. I don't, I don't go to church. It's not what I do. And finally he goes with my friend. And he goes to church and he walks in and he's wearing a baseball hat. And um, my friend didn't say anything. He's just glad he was at church, right? And this sweet old woman, I say sweet, maybe not so sweet, um, comes up as he's sitting down and she flips the baseball hat off his head and goes, have some respect for the house of the Lord. And the teenager's like, what? What just happened? And so he kind of laughed about it and made a joke and whatever. And, and, but my friend was appalled. Because at one level... I would affirm, like, yeah, there's a sense of reverence we have in worship to God, but we also recognize that the stuff we do, the mundane tasks of life, are actually acts of worship as well. The way in which you clean your toilet is an act of worship. You know where we're at doing that? You go right ahead. So this teenager who, like, didn't know better, didn't care, and I say didn't know better loosely because I, I don't really care. I don't think God cared. I think God was more appalled at the woman who knocked a hat off a teenager who's trying to take one step to go, I, is this Jesus thing worth giving my life to? Is this thing even real? Why would people show up on a Sunday morning? You want to know one of the most countercultural things that you and I do is we go to church. We sing songs with a group of people in a room to someone who is not in the room physically. We pray together. We listen to someone talk for an extended period of time about a book that is 2,000 years old, well, like 1,700 years roughly, about a guy who hasn't been on earth since at best 33 AD. It's pretty countercultural. It has nothing to do with a hat. But this is what Jesus is addressing. We'll worry about some weird thing 
and miss the whole big picture. And so Jesus is just appalled. He says, you hypocrites, like, listen to you. You take care of an animal on Sunday, but this woman who has been crippled, this woman who has been enslaved, this woman who has been oppressed by this illness or this injury, like, she gets healed and you're upset about it? You're missing the whole point of Sabbath. I mean, Jesus is calling out the hypocrisy that he sees. I could spend all day talking about the hypocrisy in our lives. I don't want to. You already know what it is. But I will say this. We become hypocrites when we don't recognize our own need to go to Jesus. Or we excuse our behaviors and not others. Jesus pointing out the Sabbath was meant to be a blessing to life, a time of rest and renewal, not a time of rigidity that ignores the suffering and the plight of others. In other words, if we can alleviate the suffering of someone else in any moment, we're called to do it right then and there. So I was thinking about what does it look like to alleviate suffering and pain of others when we're able. I was thinking, what does that look like? So a couple weeks ago, uh, you, some of you knew I was in Indiana visiting my family and worked out the timing was great. And so we got to go experience a moment that I don't know if I'll ever forget, honestly. Um, I didn't think that was that big a deal until I got there. And even then, I didn't think it was that big a deal until it actually happened. And even then, I didn't expect to cry and I couldn't stop, right? Uh, and so the moment was the adoption of my nephew. It's a courthouse in the middle of Muncie, Indiana, right? Middle of nowhere. So we show up and we get there and we're like, okay, you know, go through the security thing. We walk in, we're waiting for the judge to have us in the room. It's literally just my family, one person from the adoption agency, the judge and the clerk. That's it. There's no one else in the room. And so there's like 12 of us from my family, I think. And then my, I guess my sister-in-law's family as well. So however many of them are there, like there might be 20 people. All the people in the room. That's it. And I just thought I was being a good brother, showing up for my brother, because, you know, I want to be a, a decent uncle. I don't want to be awful. And I was in town, and so I didn't have a great excuse for not going. And so I thought, well, yeah, I'll, I'll go. I mean, I, I, was, I say in town. I did have two and a half hours there. Um, not really on the way home, but I didn't, again, not a good excuse not to go. So there I am, sitting there in that back row in the court, courthouse, and um, they start talking about adoption and with this baby in a new home, and, and uh, something just clicked. And it's just this child's permanent name will be such and such. And the permanence of that word just struck me. And then my sister-in-law read a, a note. There wasn't a try eye in the room. This little boy who didn't have a home, who didn't have a name, had a home and a name and a family. And I couldn't help but think as I was sitting there how this is the fulfillment of the scriptures when it talks about all throughout the Old Testament and into the New. Take care of the poor and the oppressed and the marginalized, the widow and the orphan and the immigrant. And so it's with that in mind that as we, we, you know, we went to dinner and celebrated and and uh, sent them a message the next day and just said, hey, thanks for having us there, praying for you guys. And 
And on the way home that night, I was thinking about all that, and I got a text from a buddy of mine who I hadn't talked to in a couple of years, and, and we just, you know, we're friends, but we, we see each other, we catch up, but, but not someone I go reach out to. And so Matt reached out to me and uh, Matt Sulia. Some of you met years ago, we took a group to Flint for, to work with a group called Forge Flint. And Matt's the executive director of Forge Flint. And he called me and he said, hey, Aaron, um, question for you. Uh, you got a minute? I was like, well, I'm driving, so I got a lot of minutes. What's up? I got like four and a half hours to go. So perfect timing. If you want to talk, now is the time. Uh, so I told my kids I was taking a phone call. And, you know, if you really need me, let me know. Otherwise, I'll be on the phone for a few minutes and and uh, so I started talking to Matt. And Matt began to tell me a story. And so rather than me telling you the story Matt told you, I'm going to let Matt tell you the story himself. And so Matt sent me this video this week so you could watch it as well. Hey there, friends. My name is Pastor Matt Sulia, and I'm the executive director of Forge Flint, which is a Nazarene Compassionate Ministry Center here in Flint, Michigan. And more importantly, I'm also a friend of your pastor, Pastor Aaron, and I uh, have a great deal of respect for him. We've known each other for many years, and I just wanted to take a few minutes real quick and to share a little bit about some incredible things that God has been doing. Uh, about two years ago, I uh, began teaching uh, English as kind of a side job to students from all over the world who are wanting to improve their English abilities, and I got paired with a student from the country of Afghanistan and uh, began to, to work with, uh, with her you know, on a weekly basis and in the months leading up to uh, last August. So a year ago this week actually was the, uh, the takeover of the Taliban in Afghanistan. And if you remember back to the, the really the horrifying, you know, terrifying images of uh, the Taliban coming into town and the amount of fear and uh, anxiousness and, you know, the atrocities that were being committed. And um, it was just a really, as you know, it is an incredibly difficult time for so many people and continues to be till today. But um, my friend's family, they had received actually direct, direct threats on their life, you know, made in person from different members of the Taliban. And uh, they had worked in, you know, kind of lower level positions in the government, but they were also a part of a persecuted minority group. And they had also worked hand in hand with the Americans on several projects. And so put them at really great risk uh, in the eyes of, uh, you know, the Taliban were really after them and out to get them. And uh, thankfully, through a partnership with a Christian um, organization, they were able to assist with them getting across the border to a neighboring country back last September. And the country they're in is, is not a fully safe place for them to be. It's safer than being in Afghanistan, but it's not, um, they have no permanent ability to resettle there. Uh, it's not a totally safe place because of the presence actually of the Taliban in this country as well. But uh, they're in a relatively safe place for the moment, and are, we've been working diligently over the last year trying to find solutions for them and the family, and we have an incredible opportunity that God has brought us through a private sponsorship program of refugees to the nation of Canada, to our neighbors to the north. And uh, it's in partnership with actually the Church of the Nazarene in Windsor, Ontario, and they are going to be given the opportunity to journey with my friend's family, 10 of them, um, for the course of the next year once they get to Canada through this program. And they, in a sense, the church gets to adopt them and, and minister to them on a, really a daily basis, uh, helping them to provide everything they need. And uh, it's, it's an incredible opportunity that God has presented us. 
and uh, incredible opportunity for the church as well to respond and to show uh, that we are salt and light in this world and that uh, God um, has given us a reason to have hope. And uh, so we're just so thankful for this opportunity. Um, we're at the phase of the project where we have to raise the funds in order to provide for the family when they arrive. And uh, this is the part of the program. The government in Canada doesn't provide any resources for this particular program. It's all fun, privately funded through churches and generous individuals. And so we are entering into this fundraising phase. And uh, once that phase is over, basically the, you know, the, the paperwork can begin to move forward and um, we can get the ball rolling. So we have some urgency, and that is to, to raise the funds. And uh, you can imagine with 10 adults providing for them for a whole year, that the number is quite high. And so it's just north of $100,000 that uh, we have to raise. But, you know, God has really shown up in some incredible ways and done what God does. Um, just this last week, I was talking to a church, and uh, they had actually designated um, some significant funds for another Afghan family that they were hoping to support as they had already been resettled here in the States. And the uh, organization that they're working through actually called them last week to say that they were actually closing the doors on this project. And then so they actually had this, these funds left over, and I called them having no idea that this is what was going on in their situation. They had no idea uh, what was going on with our project, and uh, they decided to go ahead and just give us the funds that they had raised for this other family, this other Afghan refugee family, uh, to give to our, our friend's family. And uh, so it's just, I mean, God does what God does, which is to provide uh, for things that are close to his heart. And so uh, we just feel humbled and honored to play a part of this story. And we would so love if uh, your church would consider uh, playing a part of this story as well in helping uh, this fantastic family start their lives over again in safety in Canada. Blessings to you. Thanks for taking the time to listen. Uh, God's peace. Have a great day. I was texting with Matt last night and just asking kind of for an update, and they have raised in hand $48,000 of what their goal is, and they have over 60,000 pledged for it. Um, I have some more specifics about this person's story, um, but literally can't share it with you right now because this is live streamed. And so if you want to know more, I have a flyer with more information. If you would want to be a part of that in some way, I'd be glad to talk with you about it um, after the service um, about that in particular because I just can't share it right now. And so that's one of the reasons. So it's a pretty generic story intentionally. Um, but I can answer much more. Our conversation was about an hour on the phone. So if you want to know more, I have more that I can share. Um, but that's, that's one way we can see a need and we can alleviate it. And so I was thinking, what's it look like for us? What's the point of this text, right? Jesus heals this crippled woman. He doesn't know, or he probably knows, but he doesn't say anything. Luke doesn't record why she's crippled. Luke doesn't record, you know, what happened. Luke doesn't record if she believes in God. Luke doesn't record any of those things. All we know is Jesus saw a need and he decided to alleviate that need. So what's the point of the text? It's not that we can ignore the Sabbath. It's not that we can't do anything on the Sabbath. But it's this. If we can alleviate the suffering of others, we should do so as quickly as possible. whether they be widows, orphans, or immigrants, or live next door to us. Because this 
is what it looks like to be God's unique people. This is what it looks like to live out a countercultural way to the world in which we live. I want to talk about this woman for just a second. Jesus healed this woman. And so what I would say to you and I today is this. Whatever is crippling us, it may not even be physical. He wants to heal. Whatever has bound us or held us captive, he wants us to be set free. Jesus understands the pains of the human experience. So in your own life, wherever you felt pain, wherever you felt suffering, where do you need that to be alleviated? Where do you need to find freedom? Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Jesus wants us to come to him and find rest and healing and hope. And when we find rest and healing and hope, we're called then to help others find the same. What then might happen? What if, what if we embrace that as true? What if you and I decide we have been crippled by the sin in our own lives, we've been crippled by an addiction, or we've been crippled by whatever, and God has set us free, God has come to us, he has rescued us in our weariness. We found that Jesus takes our burdens, his yoke is easy, and his burden is light, and we can leave ours with him so it doesn't have to be what weighs us down any longer. What might happen if you and I have experienced that, and we begin to give that same experience as best that we can to those around us, then maybe the last line of that text will become true. But the people were delighted with all that Jesus was doing. But what if it was this way in regards to his church in this day, in this time? But the people were delighted with all that they were doing. Craziest thing in the Bible, I know. God's chosen way to work through the followers of Jesus is through the followers of Jesus. I know, not my first pick. You and I, probably not my first pick. But this is how God desires to share his love in the world in which we live. We are called to be people who step in the gap, who help eliminate suffering, who step in and offer care. And we're also be people in the same moment to recognize that whatever has crippled us, Jesus is the one who provides the healing. So this morning, what if, what if you and I, what if we became people who practiced healing and hope in our community? What might then happen? Maybe, just maybe, those who are watching from the margins might say of Christ's church, look at what those people are doing. And they might be delighted. And they might just come to know Jesus. So where in your life, right here, right now, can you help alleviate suffering in the life of someone else? Because what I believe to be desperately true is that you and I are called to do so. Father, we thank you for this opportunity to gather together this morning. As we prepare to sing these words, may we recognize the reality in which you have come to set us free. That you desire for us to be people 
who've been so defined by your life and your love, by your mercy, by your goodness. May we recognize that we are called to people who find rest and renewal. May we recognize Sabbath is not just a thing we are to be dismissive of, but we're to see it rightly. May we recognize that others may be crippled, suffering, hurting. And may we step in and offer healing and hope when we're able. May you open our eyes and our ears to the opportunities you have before us. May you help us to be the kind of people who are so defined by the love of your Son that it would permeate every aspect of our life. And Father, may you help us be honest with where we're hypocritical in our own lives. May we extend grace to others in the same way that we need to receive grace. And so Lord, we ask this morning that you might help us to become more and more your unique people, defined by your Son. It's in his name that we pray.